released on Sunday, November 29th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 103, Chasing the Dragon. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today are my co-hosts. We have Jason Tice. Hey, John. How are we doing tonight? Doing very well, Jason. How are you? Doing great. I'm thankful for lots of things tonight, John. Well, we'll talk more about what we're thankful for as we're staring down the barrel of a Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow as we record this. Also with us, Jason, we have Craig Buchek. Hello, everybody. Hello, Hello. Craig. Craig is like the man in the sun on the video here. He's got hey, like... Is it a halo? Hey, yeah, you got the back. you got the massive ceiling fan uh, light kit on that. Wow! Right, right, right over my shoulder. Right over your shoulder. So we'll be staring into the light. I I can see the light here. Craig is here. I love it. All right. Well, there's some weird I, green stuff over my head too. Yeah, that's kind of a cool <laughs> effect, actually. It's very festive. It, so. looks, it looks like an alien. Uh, it, it does. Some sort of alien abduction. Yeah. It's an alien abduction happening. Well, to Jason already alluded to it, but in this episode, we're going to be talking about the things that we are thankful for with a special focus on those things within the realm of agile software development. Who would like to get the ball rolling with the first agile thing that they're thankful for? I think Jason should go first. Okay. This, I was trying to write these like Jimmy Fallon does on Friday night. So here. Uh, yeah, dear. So, so I wrote, I wrote, I am thankful for agile, embracing self-managing teams and empowering the people who have access to the most relevant information to make decisions. Or as John would say, the team is empowered to make decisions versus project managers who sit removed from the team in evil offices, right? Man, you stole one of mine. Oh, oh it was the no. same one. But I'll, but I'll kidding aside and, and trying to not talk like Jimmy Fallon here. The um, Really, the Agile saying that, you know, really embracing and realizing that we're doing knowledge work and the people, the people doing the work are best equipped to make decisions. So if you're a project manager or you're a PM or a product owner, you really need to collaborate and or in some instances, delegate the authority to make the decision to the team. So I want to talk about that word empowering. I read an article and I can't find it. I read it just this week. And it talked about how empowering doesn't work very well because um, when you tell people you're going to empower them, uh, they don't believe you. And if they do believe you, they think it's not going to last very long. And even if they are empowered, they're worried that they're still going to get in trouble, you know, for, for going out on a limb. And you're like, okay, I'm empowered until I make a mistake. So it, it talked about how empowering is not something you can just flip a switch on. It takes months and probably years of, of trust to, to get to empower your people. All right. So let's do a little experience. There's only three of us tonight, but because I want to link your empowerment here to trust. Cause you, and you said that at the end, Craig. Yep. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a, a survey and we'll vote with our thumbs here. Thumbs up means you agree one way. Work very well for radio. Well, but <laughs> we have video here so people can see the video. This is so we can all vote at the same time. Okay. I'm going to, what I, I read a blog on this somewhere and I can't remember whose it is. So we'll try to find it for the show notes. There's two types of trust. 
there's what we call ultimate trust, which means you simply, you know, you might ask someone to do something and then you assume that it's going to get done. So you, you just you don't even ever follow up. So you just you just trust them. The other is what we call trust, but verify, meaning you're, you might ask someone to do something, but then you still kind of keep tabs on them or you track it just to make sure they follow through. So if you believe in ultimate trust, you vote thumbs up. If you believe in trust, but verify, you vote thumbs down. So you guys ready to vote? Yes. Okay. One, two, three. Let's all vote. Okay. So John and I voted thumbs up, meaning we believe in ultimate trust. And Craig voted sideways. So Craig, I, I think, <laughs> what does uh, that mean? I think they're both sort of valid, depending on the situation. Craig clearly did not understand have, the constraints of this game. Yeah, I have situational ethics, apparently. Well, I think there's some truth to that, but it's interesting because I see like a lot of people in, in, in roles all over organizations, but even like a scrum master on a team who will go out of their way to to track that someone is following through on something even when they really have no reason to to do so so it's not like they've in the past asked someone to do something and they've dropped the ball and so then they start to micromanage them so i would wish we had more of this empowerment and ultimate trust in the agile community and i'm yeah. hoping that's somewhere we go in the future i i'd like to have i i, I think ultimate trust is the preferred one but i think that that's not always realistic let's say um, but to your point, I think um, most managers in large companies, probably even medium companies, maybe even small companies and project managers, especially probably fall more on the trust, but verify. I don't know if that's because they've been burned or more likely because they need something to do. Yeah, I'll tell you, I did this the same exact little survey we di uh, just did with, um, I guess, the company I'm with. We have an internal agile group and we it's interesting. I, I thought that we would have a majority of people that were believe strongly in the ultimate trust. And there were actually two of us that voted for the ultimate trust and everyone else kind of said, trust, but verify. And I was, I was dumbfounded. I, I thought a group of coaches would be kind of into the whole, Hey, yeah, let's, let's, uh, we trust you, but they, they weren't. So, so do you need to have ultimate trust to empower people? You think? I would say in my definition, Craig is no, because to me, empowering is asking people, in the first, you know, giving them the opportunity in the first place to assert themselves. So you're empowering them. You're saying you are empowered to step up and give this a shot. And I hope it's successful. But you know what? If it's not successful, I want you to learn from that experience so you can grow. Well, I think you actually I think you're maybe Jason, you're you're you are on the side of the ultimate trust, because if you were checking in with them and like you know, always coming around and seeing what the progress was on it, then that would be kind of the trust, but verify. And I actually think for, uh, for what, what I think we're calling autonomy, which, you know, goes back to the whole Daniel Pink thing with autonomy, mastery, and purpose, uh, that autonomy requires ultimate trust. Otherwise you feel like the folks from Craig's, uh, article that he talked about where, you know, if you're, I don't really believe that you're giving me autonomy because you're all, you're coming back and you're, you're asking me, uh, did you, did you do what I asked you to do? Or did you complete the thing that you promised me you were going to complete? Uh, and if you, if I had autonomy and if I had ultimate trust, you would never do that. 
you would just wait for me to come to you. Yeah. And I think then you don't feel empowered once they've come back and, and asked you, especially the second time, you know, I agree. Now, I mean, there, I guess there's some cases where you might check up on them, sort of play in the buddy, you know, Hey, how are we doing? Do you have any issues with it? But you got to be very careful with that. I think to be, to be the true sensei, the two, the true Mr. Miyagi, you should never follow up. You, you, that's you. You need to let people have have the space to fail. Yeah. Or, or well, that. But the other thing I think you and this is where this to me is a leadership test. You need to make make sure that you're available so people can ask for help or guidance, but you don't want to offer it. So it, it almost goes back to that idea of invitation. That I, I know, Craig, you you made a comment about a while back that uh, that you were kind of starting to read about it. It's saying that. Once I once somebody inserts themselves or steps up and starts to take ownership of something to let them let them try it and only go in there to provide guidance or assistance if you're invited to do so, because if you, you know, proactively step in there, number one, you prevent them from learning. But number two, it also kind of makes them wonder, well, if you if you were going to step in and help out anyways, then well, why'd you ask me in the first place? And uh, whatever. Okay, let's move on to our next uh, thing that we're thankful for. Craig, what do, what do you have for us next? Um, we put people above processes, at least theoretically. Um, you know, that's that's pretty much the first line of the Agile Manifesto, right? Yes. And so, um, I, I this is probably one of the two things that we least live up to in the Agile Manifesto, but at least we're thinking about people and putting people first. And I think that's pretty important. Um, well, don't forget it's, it's, it says we value people more than we value processes. So it's not that we don't value processes or that we don't do processes, but it's (laughs) that we, we put the, the the more value in the people than the process. We, we, we do a lot of processes. Let's put it that way. Um, even, even the way I, you know, push agile or train people to do agile, um, there's a lot of processes involved and it's hard to keep in mind that that the people are the important part. You know, we're, we're, we're people working together to write software for other people. Yeah. Well think about, also think about the way we did software previously and the way some people still do software today with things like stage gates (laughs) and uh, you know, the, the old waterfall steps um, or review boards or change approval boards. And you know, there used to be, at least in my estimation, we used to have quite a bit more process. We used to, we used to put a lot more emphasis on process than we do, than we did on people. And I think that that has, has flipped in, in favor of people, at least in the, in the situations where it's an agile project or an agile software department, et cetera. And I think agile pushes on thinking about why we do all our processes to make sure that we're not just doing processes for the sake of process, which is a big thing in waterfall and in large companies that I still run into a lot. Definitely. Well, let, let me ask you guys a question then. So suppose I'm uh, you know, I'm responsible for like a, like an app dev program and we're, you know, we're writing some software and we get to that point where the software is done and we go to release it and something goes really wrong and we can't release it. And, you know, we're stuck. What do you tell those people or what would your what would your advice be to say, well, 
what should they do rather than say, oh, no, we need to stop. We need to implement this rigid stage gate process, John, because that's where the, <laughs> uh, I, I think I've, I've seen that. I've been in that environment. And what would you guys say to that? So what would you tell them to say maybe they don't need to go back to the stage gate approach? I, um, I wouldn't. So I, I think you have to consider this because, again, I'm not saying that pro- a process is bad. I'm not saying that having a rigorous release management process is a bad thing. What we're saying here is that we should trust people. Again, back to trust. We should trust that people are going to do the right thing in the majority of cases. And we should rely on people doing the right thing more than we do on beating them over the head with processes. However, if you, if you have evidence and you have uh, proof that the way things work in your organization, you require some sort of staged gate release process to control the, the flow of software into production, then it's appropriate to have that if that, suits your needs. But I don't so, think you start off with a heavy duty process. You know, you, you have to evolve to it. Well, but what happens when you're trying to evolve from a heavy process to agile? How do you, I mean, that's, that's the difficulty that I run into a lot of times is letting go of that process is hard and you can't just start from scratch really just with no process and then build it up. You almost have to tear down the existing processes and that's, People, people resist change, right? So every process you try to change hurts and is difficult. Yeah, and, and fundamentally, that's where I think we don't measure enough. So we, 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 or we have measurement systems that are many times linked to these old processes that you're trying to change. So I think the mistake that a lot of people make is to go rogue in, in the face of processes. Yeah. And I think the right thing to do is rather than become the rogue force out there that's fighting against the process, you need to show that first you can be a good steward of the process. And then once you've built up the trust with the owners of that process, then you can start to build a relationship with them and encourage them to make, start to make changes to that process. Mm-hmm. Because if that, you, if yeah. you make an enemy out of them, you know, you're never, you're never going to get them. Uh, you're never going to get them to start moving towards less process. But that said, you only have a limited time to make an impact as a, as a new person coming in, you know, as a consultant. Um, so it's hard to both build that trust and make an impact on um, ingrained processes at the same time. Um, I want to say one other real quick thing about processes. You talked about uh, deployment and releases and, and the processes around that. Also, if you can automate a process, that means you don't have to live with that process yourself as a, as a, you know, as a team, just automate it away so you don't even have to deal with it anymore. Yeah, and it's funny. I know Amos isn't with us tonight, but I remember uh, I was on a team with Amos once and he was watching some of the things I did to do deployments back when I used to do that. And he's like, he's like, Jason, you've done that same thing the last three weeks on Thursday. You should write a script for it. I was like, no, nah, Amos, I do it once a week. It takes five minutes, you know, so you should, because guess what? That means I don't have to be there to do it. And I can spend my five minutes doing something else. So, and what about the next person that comes in and does it differently and messes it up the first time? Yeah. Cause they don't read it. Cause, uh, cause of course half the, st- half of the instructions for the wiki page. Well, wait, only half the instructions are on the <laughs> wiki page. So, oops. Oops. Yeah. So, so, so you're documenting that process probably took about as long as, well, enough script to do it. Right. Maybe we should, maybe we should try to fire that hashtag up for 2016. Let's, 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 
let's talk about that. No hashtag, no documentation. So instead of writing it down, automate it. Automate instead of document. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunities to do that, you know, and I mean, start with your tests instead of writing test test scenarios, write test cases. You know, if you don't, if you don't know how to write test code, learn how to write test code or get a dev team that can set it up for you. So it's easy to do. So if anybody can get traction on a hashtag, it's Jason Tice. Ah, whatever. <laughs> hashtag yes. too much Tice. Oh, wonderful. Great. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. Okay. You okay. are thankful for that? Uh, yeah, we've got We've gotten a little way too much mileage out of, I think, four tweets. Right. <laughs> okay. I'll do my, uh, I'll do one of my things. Yeah, that do I'm, your, I'm hoping you do your top one because I want to talk about okay, that. Okay, well, it, I, I feel like it kind of already got, it already got co-opted by Craig. So I'll yeah, Only a quarter of it. Only a quarter of it. And, and plus all of the, the 11 principles or whatever sure. they are. So I'll go ahead and, and say that I am thankful to all of the fine folks that collaborated at uh, Snowbird, Utah to come up with the Agile Manifesto. And I'm, I'm thankful for the manifesto itself because without it, I would not have this lucrative consulting business, right? What, this yeah, podcast? Maybe you, maybe you would. Maybe it would be called something different. I think we'd still be writing software. I think we'd all have different roles. And I think that inevitably without Agile, I don't think our paths would have crossed if you think about it. Well, that was just a joke. I mean, I, the, oh. the, 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 uh, the consulting business thing. Well, yeah. but, but in real life, I, I am thankful for the manifesto, though. Well, that's what I want to talk about, because my statement is I think we interpret the manifesto too literally. And it goes back to even some of the comments Craig had. That is that I think something I've started to realize recently about the manifesto is that we've put too much emphasis on the left side versus the right side. So like as Craig mentioned, we, you know, we put people over processor, individuals, interactions um, over uh, processes and tools. We really need to have equilibrium. So what, when the manifesto was written, I agree, there was way too much emphasis on the right. But I think the community has almost tried to pivot too much to the left. And really, instead of we give preference to one over the other, we really need to say we have a good mix of both. Yeah, you don't, I, want, your, you don't I, want your humors out of equilibrium. You've got to have your, hu- <laughs> your humors in equilibrium. There are four humors, too. That's interesting. Um, I disagree. I don't. Now that we need an equilibrium, well, okay. So like working software over comprehensive documentation, do we really need more documentation to balance out the working software? I think we need an equilibrium, but that usually means that there's more working software than documentation and there's more customer collaboration than contract negotiation. Well, but, but keep on, like I'm, I'm joking about, you know, Craig, when you were talking, I'm joking about the no documents hashtag, but like even recently, you know, I sit down, work with a team and then the business gets, they're like, guys, do you have a business case for why you're writing this app? And we're like, no. So, well, let's go make sure we have a good business case that people understand why we're implementing this app. So that's a document that we put so together. It's, it's how, how, yeah. When you say document, someone thinks you're talking about 100 pages. That should be a readme that that should be a paragraph. You know, that should no, be your, we, no, I'll tell you your what elevator we, pitch. We went and we made a business model canvas and it's a big poster on the wall, but it is a document. It's not software. And I, I think, again, it's finding maybe equilibrium is a bad term, but it's it's definitely acknowledging that if you look at the two sides of the manifesto, you really should have a mix of both the left and the right. Not yeah. exclusively one or the other, and not really even favoring one or the other. 
I disagree with that. I completely think we should favor the things on the left. I mean, responding to change over following a plan. Basically, they found that following a plan never worked. Yeah, but you got it. But the, but think about, Craig, some of the ways people take that so literally. That's it, the thing. It's the it literal. Could, it confuses people. It's like the whole it's it, we had Luke Coleman at an open space uh, here recently in St. Louis. And, you know, he went off on no estimates because he said, you know, no estimates. People take it so literally and it, it yeah, does yeah. harm. So, well, we say we value the things. We don't say that we reject the things. But see, Craig and. I think this goes back to Jason's point. It's that a lot of times when people are quoting the manifesto, what they say is things like people over process, right? And it's like, you're not quote, you're not, that's not the quote. It's that we value individuals and interactions more mm-hmm. than processes and tools. Not and, that and we I do don't hear, have any value in the, yeah. in the, and I do hear a lot of people saying, Oh, agile, that means you don't have to, you know, plan right. out anything or, you know, and what, no, no rules and it's just anarchy. Exactly. And people forget the fact that agile is and does require rigor to execute. You don't. You, oh, definitely. Right. It's not just yeah. it's not just flying by the seat of your pants. And so when people hear the term agile and this is this is, I think, uh, becoming less of, a, of the situation today than it was like 10 years ago. When I, when 10 years ago, when anybody heard agile, they said. Oh, you mean no process? Just let developers do whatever they want. It's like, no, dude, it, that's not what I mean. You, you don't, you clearly don't know what agile is. the The problem that I have today with the manifesto, and and I run into this a lot in in my travels, is people beating each other with the manifesto. Please, I'm putting the call out to all my agile friends out there: stop beating people with the principles and practices and whatnot in the manifesto, and stop saying things like. Well, that's not agile. I, I throw up a little bit and die a little bit inside every time somebody says that. Well, but John, John I'm curious though, because you're the one that, that said you're thankful for the manifesto. Absolutely. Yet, yet it's the gotten manif- us to hear. But yet the manifesto itself is causing that problem because people interpret it like it's like it's um, it's the whole truth. And it, it's an it's a it's an idea. It's just a way to think. And as some of the authors say, it was a point in time. It was their thoughts at that point in time. Yeah, you know, which it's, it, it, it's solidified and you can't necessarily, you know, they couldn't have gotten everything right then. No, but see, uh, that's just the way they were thinking at that time. But see, that's my comment is saying that it was a point in time back in 2001 where at the time there was a heavy emphasis on the things on the right. And and some would argue that in some environments that hasn't changed. Like when I was at this uh, this uh, Agile Dialogues conference in D.C. with all these guys from the, you know, talking about no estimates with all these guys from government acquisition agencies that have to do these huge contracts. They would say there has been no change because they still they still write contracts the same way they did back in 2001. But um, I digress. I think to, the, my today, final, go ahead, Jason. Well, I was going to say today it's a mix because we have moved as a community i think we have moved the needle some to the left and i think there are some people that want to move it all the way to the left which is what john's talking about and i think we just need to acknowledge that it's always going to be somewhere in the middle i i don't i think we've we're every team i've seen is still airing to the right than to the left except maybe working software over documentation I'm customer collaboration we we fall down uh, every team i've seen has poor customer collaboration and usually has more process than 
than thinking about people. Ooh, I'd love to ask you why, but I don't know if John wants to close that's this. A whole, that's a whole show, right? Uh, I that's probably an eight-hour conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. That's eight shows. <laughs> well, here's the thing that uh, that I think that I've been thinking a lot about this, and, and I actually have an idea uh, to put on a conference in this regard, and that is in at the be- very beginning of the manifesto. What a lot of people have completely skipped past is that we're con- where it says that we're constantly learning new and better ways to do software development. And as we've learned new and better ways, we learned that these are the things that, that we should do. It feels like we've kind of stopped in, in, in a lot of ways from trying to figure out new and better ways to do this. So my idea for, for doing a conference is to, is to have, only and I went to I've went to a lot of conferences. Jason, you were at a lot of the ones that I went to. You went to even more than I did. But what I con- what I saw consistently time and time again was people rehashing and and replaying the same sort of talks and the same sort of conversations over and over and over and over again at these conferences, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We learned a lot in the last year. We went from safe three O to safe four O. It's awesome. <laughs> Oh, well, great. Okay. So I want to have a conference where it's all about people proposing this is a new and better way to do things and then vetting it out in the community and, and getting a group of people together and talk through that and refine it and, and almost have like some sort of working body of people that are developing these thoughts and ideas. So maybe something I'm going to be working on in 2016. So you, you want to hold the cutting edge agile conference. Yeah, I want to have like agile uh experimental agile Ooh. or something along those lines. Agile ideas. Right. Yeah, you know, and just John, there I'll share. There is a lot of it. If you go to like the big agile conference, that happens there. It just doesn't happen in the program. It's like those are when, you know, <laughs> a bunch of us that are there, we looked the at hallway the hallway track. Yeah, right. we look yeah, the 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 they call it open jam at the Big Edge conference or it, it, just go to an open space and that happens. I mean, so it's uh, I think that there's a there's a there's a something that happens when you do programming where when you put a program together, you've got to put some things on the program that people understand and then put some new ideas out there. So there's a mix, but uh, I, I, I have seen programs myself where it's like, okay, that program could have been the same program five years ago. And that's, yep. that's where I would encourage if you are in the event space, as I guess John is and I am, you know, there is an opportunity to work with your submitters to say, hey, let's, let, let's get some new ideas out there and let's, let's actually get them on the program. Because I, I think some people, if they do share ideas, they feel compelled to share something that's well known versus taking you know taking the the risk to put a new idea in the in the submission basket and see if it makes it okay i think one of the problems with the conference is that you've got a lot of new people that that basically might not know all the you know beginner and intermediate topics it's it's tough yeah just go to open space okay let's go back to jason for a new topic okay a new thing that he's thankful for Okay, well, you know, I'm going to, let's see here, I'll, uh, let's see here, we kind of talked about that I'll, one. No, yeah, Not we talked about that one. Okay, we'll talk about this one. I'll delete all those. So, uh, Agile, for allowing us to make work fun. Since we focus on solving challenging problems, we believe in doing things like using metaphors to get everyone involved so that technical staff could learn something about the business, and maybe the business people could even learn something about the technology. Wait a second, Jason, well, you're not allowed to have fun while you're working. 
Well, he's yeah. a, he's a proponent of games, so he definitely likes to have fun. Yeah. So, I, well, it, it, there's something to be said for you know, work is it, people are choosy. These they're they're choosy when they say where do I want to work, and I think agile and having having people work in self managing teams and giving teams the autonomy to kind of figure out how they want to work and do something fun. So, kind of like a uh, John, you mentioned Daniel Pink trying to think beyond just doing the work and you know the billable hour. To say, you know what, if we're a better team, if we sit down and play games for an afternoon, because it means we, you know, we start to understand ourselves better and understand how we communicate. Agile challenges us to do that because, again, it goes back to Craig, individuals, the interactions over processes and tools. So if we're going to be successful as a team and a team is composed of individuals, I encourage people to invest time to have good teams. And collaborate. And collaborate, yeah. I have to say, Jason, I like this one. Um, I would like to challenge it slightly, not, not actually challenge it, but say, I wish that more teams were given, uh, were given the freedom to have fun. I, I think I've seen a fair number of teams that are agile in some senses where there's, there's, the fun is drilled completely out of them. Do you How's know that why happen? is that is yeah. that like team choice or is that like bad management? It's it's a combination of culture, first and foremost, which uh, drives and cultivates management, and so it's it's that combination. Is there a sustainable pace in those places? It's usually not. <laughs> uh-huh. Usually not, Craig. Yeah, the, the unsustainable pace is usually what drives out the fun. It's uh, it's a. Uh, I think it's a symptom of the mm-hmm. of the fact that the culture the culture is very uptight. The culture is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again is is fifty fifty five hours a week, and, and those things just seem to go hand in hand. I've I've also seen places where people work hard, and work hours, but it's because they have fun. Yeah, yeah. I I think one of the big myths out there is that sustainable pace means no more than forty hours a week. Right. I know I know people that enjoy their job and they 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 like it and they're not that you could give them a you can give them a, a baseline stress test. They will show no signs of stress and you can even do a, a physiological stress test. But like they'll measure cortisol and stuff and they're working 85 hours a week, but they're not stressed because they're they're in that state of what they call psychological flow. Love it. Yeah. So it, if you're in that environment, uh, then, you know. 40 hours doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's that you're engaged in your work and you, and you find value in it. So mm. I think agile, because it does emphasize sustainable pace, it, it, it challenges everyone involved to figure out how to make that happen. As John mentioned, I do like games, but I have teams I've worked with where they find ways to make their work fun and they've never broken out the Lego in their life. You know, they just, they literally just have fun by saying we have autonomy we do pair programming so we can share our work. We have this fun code review thing that we do, which people think doesn't provide value, but the team thinks it provides value and they have autonomy to do it, even though, um, like I said, management thinks it doesn't necessarily add value, but whatever. So people like that. I'm, I'm going to take your fun and, and amp it up a bit to happiness. I think happiness is sort of the the bigger overarching um, value. It's, it's something I've been looking at as far as agile goes. Um, they're, they're definitely closely related. Um, if your team's having fun, they're probably going to be happy, but there's a little bit more to the happiness. I don't know that 
code reviews are fun, but they might make you happy. Yeah, well, it's it puts away. It, it's a it's a forced feedback conversation where I would hope that everyone on the team or some people on the team could give some appreciation to their colleagues. So it it it's a it's a practice to inject that into the environment. So so I modified it, uh, Craig. It says to make work fun, happy, and engaging. I like it. And I also think that this is where I think we can get better because I, I wrote the notes in here. I know we've talked about it where I think that there is an opportunity to use play to try to get maybe a little bit more uh, collaboration between the, the development team and the business. So, you know, really let the, you know, let the, let the, let the team learn about some of the business realities of what you're doing. And then likewise, if you're on the business side, I would encourage you to learn how you could better work with the team. Maybe you could learn how to help them write test cases by learning how to write a test syntax or something. So I wish we could, you know, be more big work, more fun and happy by getting more people involved in solving these complex, complex problems. All right. That's a good one, Jason. Let's see. Let's go to Craig, see what he's got next. All right. We kind of, we kind of talked about this one, but um, as a, as a group, agilists don't rest on our laurels. We we have a culture of looking for better ways to work. Um, I think we kind of touched on this, John. You were talking about something about always improving, and and I think kaizen is almost more my mentality than agile at this point. In some ways, um, although I do focus on things like happiness and and autonomy, um, but kaizen is basically continuous improvement, a philosophy of continuous improvement, not just you know. I'm going to get better here. I'm going to get better there, but I'm always thinking of better ways to work. And why specifically Kaizen? Because um, it's, Kaizen I, is sort I, of a, is sort of a, a mechanical way of going through an improvement process, right? Yeah. I think it's just the philosophy of Kaizen that I like. That's, that's, uh, I, I wrote an article a few months back about a team that, that we had come in and we had improved them. And they thought, oh, we're better. We can we can rest on our laurels now. And I was like, that's completely the opposite of the way I think. I think, all right, we're better than we were before, but next year we can be even better. So um, uh, that's when I realized that continuous improvement forever is pretty much where I want to head. So, so Craig, what would you say? I heard uh, someone gave a talk uh, event I was at recently. They're, they were talking about their agile adoption. And when they got to talking about retros, they said that like they they had like retros for like four weeks. And then on the fifth week, they had a happy hour. I thought that was interesting to say that, okay, after four retros, like we thought we'd take a break and go have a happy hour. And I, I'm going to assume that they went back to having the retros, but um, I don't know. Oh, I hope but what, so. But what would you say to that? Cause I, I think that I appreciate what you're saying about how we should focus on Kaizen but I also see a lot of teams that say, ah, you know, we're good enough. You know, we, you know, we, if, if you say, well, let's do an experiment this week and, or this week and try to make ourselves better. They're like, ah, forget it. We don't want to do that. I mean, I, what would you say to that? I'm hoping that the happy hour was a, a, an agile game that was focusing on happiness. Um, <laughs> Well, I got this thing called the Lean Startup Learning Lab that you can do in a bar with because it involves a big box and Jenga blocks. All right. Um, I, I'm lucky in that I was on a, a, a high performing agile team and I'm sort of always striving to get back at least that good. 
Um, so, so I think that gives me a benefit actually of, of a target that I know is attainable. Um, you're always I chasing guess, that dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, isn't that like mean I'm on heroin or something though? Yeah. Um, that's, that's <laughs> not the case though. Um, yeah, I, I think knowing that, that better, knowing how much better I could be, how much better my team could be is, is pretty powerful. And the, the teams I work with really don't understand that. And so I have to find a way, find good ways to convey that. I think it can be a little bit of a, of a uh, hamster wheel, a little bit of a treadmill, like a never ending. The, the continuous improvement can feel like it's never ending. Yeah. Like we're yeah. never good enough. We're, we're saying we're never going to be good enough. Right. So I think taking a break now and then and, and having a happy hour thrown in the mix where, yeah. you, where you usually have your retro is, is a great idea. And that's something that I've practiced as well. Uh, so oh, see, I would have said have the retro, but then go to the happier after the retro. Yeah, that's good too. But some of the best happy, some of the best retros break out at the happy hour. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. Impromptu. Well, you, people get some liquid courage in them, and uh, all of a sudden, some of the washes away some some of the the built up exteriors, those built up facades that we wear around at work. It's interesting. I, I got, I'll, I'll share like back in September, I got nasty tweets at me because I was, remember I was back when I did that learning party with Llewellyn Falco this year. And I, I said, Oh yeah, we're going to have beer and stuff. And it, people were like, why do you have to have beer to have a learning party? There's a whole bunch of blog posts about how we is our, is our, uh, our corporate culture, our workplace culture in software and it too focused on alcohol. Cause not everyone out there drinks. That's true. Uh, I think I, I think I see a lot more drinking happening in other departments than IT, though. Yeah, I think that's I think that's all of work, and it was why I was I there, I'll, I'll go find those if, or if, follow me on Twitter because people were tweeting them at me when we were throwing this party because I guess I was uh, I was going off about oh yeah we're gonna have all this cool beer and stuff and then we're also good but we had non-alcoholic stuff too so need to be need to be careful to make sure that your happy hour retrospectives are not being a not ex- not making others feel excluded. Well, and they need exactly. to be, they need to be safe. But John, what I was going to say about this, or uh, really to both you and Craig, what we're saying here, I think, is it's symptomatic of a bigger problem. That is that people are really looking to others to validate what they're doing, and they they want that, which which is human nature. But I think where people really find motivation to work towards kaizen is when they experience what it feels like themselves to grow. Hmm. I mean, that's a real meta level comment, but I I think there's a lot of people that they don't have the self-awareness to understand what that feels like themselves. And so they're relying on others, which is good. But if they understand, they can look inside and say that, yes, it feels great when, you know, Craig, you say, yeah, Jason, you did a great job on that. But I say, yeah, I know I did a great job, but I learned all this cool stuff and I'm pumped up. And you say that yourself without someone having to to give that to you. That's what drives you to be have greater intrinsic motivation to work towards improvement. So mastery, autonomy, purpose. And, And the one I like to add, identity. So all those seem to factor in what you just talked about. Yeah, identity. Yeah, which is, I guess I learned that as self-awareness. 
So yeah, so uh, mm-hmm. so the the sticker, the uh, stocking stuff for that everyone should put under their holiday tree or whatever this year is um go go get Daniel Pink's drive book, you know, put a bow on it. <laughs> so give it to yourself as an early Christmas gift. Yes. And here's the part I have problem with: read it. <laughs> so you have a whole library of books, Craig, but well, m- oh, many no. of them are unread. Or yes, just, I had a pick for the Japanese word for that phenomenon actually in a previous episode. Uh-huh. That's funny. Well, better yet, for most of these things, you just go to like to YouTube and you find the animated video of it, which takes like 15 minutes and it, it summarizes the book and you can just watch and listen. At least at least check that out. We'll have to include the link to that YouTube video in the show notes. Yeah, I, I've no, I know many people who have said that they think the, the video is better than the book because it's shorter and yeah. he feel, they feel the book goes on. But I the book is a little long winded, I think. So I'll just tack on to Craig's because um because my one of one of my things that I'm thankful for is is the fact that we have the focus on continuous improvement and improvement that is not just a one time event. I've I've been at a lot of companies where they've held Kaizen sessions or Kaizen events, done oh, no. done them and then implemented some changes, right? But then stopped with improvement. So I like the fact that retros and our culture of Agile has brought the continuous nature into this sense of needing to improve and and taking time to not only look at um, how how well we are performing, but how well we can can perform if we look at doing things differently internally. So but that's is just that, a tack on. But is that really Agile, John? I mean, because it's like that. I guess I look at Kaizen and, you know, Edward Deming that goes back to the 1960s, way before the manifesto was written. Now and you're, you're doing exactly what I asked people not to do. Say that okay. something is Agile or not Agile. No, but what is, but, <laughs> but no, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. Well, I, I I'll guess. I'll allow what, it, counselor. Well, I guess that's where, you know, because I've had people come up to me, they say, so Agile, it's like, it's nothing new. It's all the stuff we already know. So it's like, why do we need to have, like, why do we need to have another community out there that's this Agile community when other groups have already, at least in their opinion, feel they've embraced many of these these same mindsets. So I agree with all of those things. And I'm not seeing, and John, by all means, I'm not saying this is not Agile. I'm simply saying that this is not the idea of continuous improvement is not necessarily a brand new idea that was uncovered, you know, in the manifesto up at Snowbird. It was something right. that they, they embraced. And to their credit, I think they did probably inject it into software development. Yeah, you're right. It's not something that they invented. It's not something that they created, but it put what, what I was saying was that it put a focus on it and it said yeah. that continuously improving is, is a, is a healthy thing to do as a, as a group. So it was the fact that it it threw light on it and it put some focus on it and it allowed us to bring that into uh, the world of software development. Yeah. So again, so, I, I am thankful for that. So, I, so I, I've thought a lot about what 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 is agile. What is the essence of agile? And there's two main things that seem to be the the, the very keys. Um, you know, despite what the, the manifesto says or, or the essence of the manifesto, one is iterate and the other is always be improving. Yep. Which I almost think you can, you can inline down into one statement of, yeah, yeah. Of iterating. Yep. Well, in, in, iterating both in terms of building software, also exactly. in terms of 
also in terms of performing as a team. You're, you're constantly iterating over yourself. Over the way you work. Yes. Uh, and improving the way you work. Yeah. But it's still funny because it's like, where's Amos when we need him? Oh, it was like back in the, the 20s of the of the podcast here where it used to be, hey, Amos, what are you trying to improve today? And Amos <laughs> was like, shut up, Tice. And I'm like, well, it's not it's not what you're saying. It's how you're saying it. Oh, well, it was I'm just like, that you were annoying him. I was like, exactly. I was being Bozo the Clown. So, OK. All right. I, so Mary, Mary Poppins, the agile coach. OK, fine. Let, let me go. Let me go to my last one real quick. And I think that's going to we're going to have to end it after my last one, because we've each then had a chance to do two. Um, and but we'll see if we have then we'll do our picks. But my last one is. Uh, where is it? Okay, I lost my place in the notes. I'll, I'll edit that out. So my last one is the fact that we are realizing through a lot of the Agile principles that we use that knowledge workers don't require supervisors and we're starting to flatten things out in terms of management and we're, we're giving our, we are giving that, that true trust over to a team where we're saying we're going to trust you guys to execute. We're going to trust that you guys will figure out the best way to go about executing on our vision and we're going to flatten out management. We don't need so many supervisors sitting on top of you to make sure you're getting your stuff done. Boom. Bomb goes off. I think so, this, yeah. I, I think that statement it needs a little more context, John, because I think that I, I agree with what you're saying, but I also know what you mean. And that is we want to make sure people don't fall victim to what I call the fallacy of the self-managing team which is where, okay, people go over there and figure it out and there is no leadership. So you may not have a necessary, a manager whose purpose is to tell people what to do because that's just a dumb job, but there does need to be somehow some sense of leadership to ensure the team can find its way forward and stay aligned to whatever goal or purpose they're working towards. I've yep. seen that leadership rotate through through. Yeah. A- a really good team though. So it, it yeah. doesn't have to be a leader. Yeah. It just needs to be leadership. Yeah, that's, that's why one I person said or eight. eight. Yeah. That's why I said leadership, but I think that yep. what happens and there's a lot of teams out there that, that struggle and that, that thrash because you, you remove the supervisory role, even if it is the bad micromanaging scrum master and the people on the team are like, what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we make decisions? And they they don't know. So I think that that really is a calling to say that people can step up and it even goes full circle to back to even talking about trust that if you're if you're a sponsor of that and you look and you're looking in, you have to say that, you know, they're going to figure it out and you have to trust that they'll, they'll do that. So and and that they'll do it as a team without the need for a person necessary to intervene. Yeah, that's really so, all I was saying, that it was just breaking down the breaking down the the old myth that you know we need we need managers that are supervising the the develop developers because if somebody's not sitting on top of them they won't do their job yes leadership so that brings is very up, important that brings up what is the role of a manager in in an agile context and that's it's probably i just put that on the backlog of our show ideas um but Basically, you need sort of leaders instead of managers is if you have an, an auto- have an autonomous team. Yeah, in most, um, in most corporate settings, you do need some sort of a what I, will, what I refer to as an HR manager because there's, there are certain 
HR hurdles that have to be dealt with, you know, every quarter, every year, etc. It's called the legality of being an employee. Sure. There's, <laughs> there's sal- salary compensation conversations that have to go on and all of that stuff. But how many of those do you need? Right. I mean, that, that could be one person could handle 40 people for that purpose to, to get them through these HR, these HR, right. Red, this HR red tape. And, and if you think outside the box, you know, do they need to do reviews? No, probably not. You can probably have peer reviews and stuff like that. And yes, a lot of the, a lot of the traditional management roles also go out the window with that, Joel. And that's, that's really scary for managers. Well, it should be, Uh, well, it it should be for, for the, the middle managers. I mean, middle managers have always been kind of the, highest risk positions in an organization, right? Because they're, they're kind of easily, easily <laughs> parted with. They're, they're not essential. Easily replaced by a small script. Yeah. Be careful or I shall replace you with a bash script. So, so something I saw said basically that the, the role of managers in that case should be basically leadership and um, helping the team grow, helping the individuals grow and, 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 sort of leading that effort as well. I agree. Yeah, it's servant leadership 101. The the manager serves the team. Hi team, what can I help you with? Just, and Amos and Amos would say, go get some batteries, Jason. So that's right. Just another example of a, a role that I want to fire, right, Jason? What? The, <laughs> the go get the batteries? No, no, so, the, the the old the old supervisor. The scrum oh, yeah, yeah. master, the supervisor, well, the manager. Put this way, in the knowledge work organization, that's not there. I just think we do, again, in a large corporate, there is a huge um, a huge source of waste and thrashing is the failure to provide alignment boundaries or guardrails is the term that I like to use to say that, you know, John, you're John, you and Craig and are on this team. This is your vision or this is your purpose this is the boundary where you, that you need to stay within because we have this other team over here that's solving this other problem. And yes, you two need to work together, but you also need to stay focused on your individual goals. So that's the role of really leadership to take a step back, look at the big picture and then figure out how to divide up the work. So it can, so it can be done in small teams. That kind of gets into where portfolio management is evolving to and, and even where the PMI, I think, is learning how to change their book of knowledge to embrace that from Agile. But um, that, those could be topics for the future as well. Okay, so that was our last thing that we're thankful for. We had more. But oh, of course we, we had get, more. We can't get to them all this episode, so we can put some of them on the backlog and maybe we'll, you can be thankful for them next year. That's called leftovers, so we'll just eat those oh, on Black Friday. Leftovers, yes. Mm. Leftovers. What's the Black Friday metaphor of Agile? That's a good one. All right, moving on. This week's hottest picks. So, Craig, what do you have for your picks this episode? All right, uh, my first pick is a blog article I wrote called The Problem with Estimates. It's sort of a no estimates thing that talks about, well, here's all the problems with estimates. Um, And a lot of them actually are because estimates pit management against the team instead of working together. Um, But it's a. Uh, article I've uh, gotten a lot of people responding to. Uh, some good, some bad. So take a look at that. And there's a link in the show notes. Uh, the next one is a, an article from uh, ThoughtWorks called 10 Ways to Improve Your Pairing Experience. Uh, this is probably more for uh, people that don't have a lot of experience with pairing. And it's got some really good tips there. Uh, 
And since I'd like to do paradoxes a lot as pit as picks, I've got Breus's paradox, which basically says that building more roads might actually make traffic worse instead of better sometimes. So well, I, I'm interested in that one because that that sounds that sounds like a common sense now to us, right? But in the past, maybe not. Uh, it sounds counterintuitive that building yes. more highways might lead to more traffic. Um, it, I think it has to do with network effects and also like if you've got this brand new big highway, everyone wants to take the brand new big highway thinking it'll be quicker. I'll have to read yeah. that and get some. Yeah, actually it's funny. When I, that one. when I took network engineering in college, we talked about that actually. So there's truth to that. Um, yeah, it has, it says it has, uh, it pertains also to electricity and biology. Networks. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll go next. Picks. It's I'm next in the list. Yeah. So I'll, I only have one pick this week. Uh, it actually has to do with uh, if you're interested in the estimates, no estimates, yes, estimates forecast. Uh, back in November 2015, we had a conference. It was called Agile Dialogues, and it was in D.C. And the topic was all about, you know, what do you do for estimation and planning? It was a it was an unconference. And so I I shared some of the the techniques and practices that that um, actually I've used to do. Um, uh, several million dollars worth of development now so we've got some we've got some history here but the uh, the proceedings have been published and so we'll put the link to the proceedings on the show notes which if you're looking for just kind of some of the different thoughts out there on different different sides of the uh, or different perspectives about you know estimates forecasting whatever uh, check it out so it's in the show notes and this uh, agile dialogues conference format where people come together to focus on a topic really aligns to um what John wants to uh, do with his idea, he said to talk about uh, futuristic agile practices. So I, I briefly went through that uh, that that set of articles, those those proceedings. Um, they were very thorough. I was I, I have to read them uh, with in more detail because they looked really interesting. Yeah, and also in that too, if you do look at the link we have in our show notes, the uh, the agile agile dialogues is organized out of DC by a gentleman by the name of Paul Booz. He's an awesome guy. He's in the games community with me, and he's going to do a, I think two of these uh, coming up in 2016. Top, we we actually voted on topics, and there's a there was one uh, John like what do you do with managers? So um so check that out. Those will probably be in the Washington DC area somewhere, but cool stuff. Good. Good picks, Jason. Or good pick. It's a good pick that pick I talked singular. about for way too long. So I'm glad to I'm glad to see you had one pick. Well, one done. pick. That's very crazy. concise. And whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have two picks. My first pick is an article. It's very brief. It's called The Principles of Chaos Engineering. Uh, I stumbled on this doing some reading last week and I just found it to be quite interesting and thought I'd share it with our community. But the the principle is take a look at your your infrastructure, your your environment. And if you want to really pressure test it, just start yanking pieces of it out and see what breaks and then figure out what you could do to make your, um, your setup, your environment, your infrastructure more resilient. Uh, so think of all the things that could just go wrong and start, start throwing examples of that at your, at your infrastructure, see what happens and then start shoring it up from there. In essence, that's what it is. I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but I'm, I'm uh, summarizing, if you will. And since Craig chose to uh, pick 10 ways to improve your pairing experience, I've decided to pimp out my uh, 
my my article that I wrote a, a long time ago called Seven Secrets of Effective Pair Programming. So I'll include that in the show notes again uh-huh. because I've chosen it many times before as a pick. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have for our picks this episode. Guys, thanks for joining me here today. It was a wonderful conversation to hear what you all are thankful for this year with within the Agile community. And I wish you, of course, a happy Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much turkey. Don't drink too much wine. But certainly enjoy yourselves. And if you don't, if you're not for the States, you should go buy a turkey and just do it for fun. (laughs) That's all we have time for for this episode of This Agile Life. Be sure to check out our website at thisagilelife.com for our show notes and for all of our wonderful and thankful past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this Agile life. This Agile life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.